Right. So this morning, we're going to be continuing our journey through the Psalms. And today we're going to be looking at what I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, th th this is my favorite Psalm, Psalm 118. Now, Psalm 118 is not only popular in Christian tradition, there's a lot of songs. And when we go through it, I'm sure you will recognize a lot of lyrics from varying songs in it, varying Christian songs in it, both newer and really old. But it also has a special place in Jewish tradition. This Psalm 118 is the conclusion of what is known as the Halal. Now, if you remember back at the beginning of the series, I mentioned that maybe the best way to think of the Book of Psalms is as a larger collection of smaller collections of psalms. Well, the Halal is one of those smaller collections. It consists of Psalm 113 through 118. And you could think of it as maybe a playlist of songs that were sung on joyous occasions. They were sung throughout the year. Uh, but for us this morning, most notably, they were sung as part of the Passover meal. Now, think back to like your Sunday school lessons. Think back to the Last Supper, Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. This was, in fact, a Passover meal. Now, both the Gospels of Matthew and Mark mention that at the close of the meal, so right after Jesus kind of shows us communion, institutes the first communion, and right before they go to the Mount of Olives where Jesus is arrested, right in between there, right at the close of the meal, both Matthew and Mark say that they sang a psalm together. The assumption being, if they're following tradition, that this song would have been the halal. Now, whether it was the full halal, all six psalms, or just this closing one, there's all sorts of scholarship and tradition that we don't need to get into now. Regardless of whatever case it was, at least this psalm, 118, was sung at the end of the Last Supper. And I think to me that might be why this is my favorite psalm, because that gives it just such a special place and a special meaning. Now, you would think, because this is my favorite psalm, that it would be easy to write a sermon on it. In fact, it was not. I spent way too much time trying to find what I wanted my through line to be. You know, what specific section did I want to focus on? You know, what, what did I want to be that take-home message? And I had the hardest time doing that. Because almost every single verse I came to, every single you know, section, I was like, oh, I, I can't talk about this and not bring this in. Oh, well, this has to be the main theme of it. And that happened just over and over again. Till, and I honestly think you could. I think we could do an entire summer series just on Psalm 118. There is, I think, that much amazing stuff in it. So what I think we're going to do today is just stay super broad. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the psalm slowly together. We'll read, we'll, we'll kind of break it up into sections. I'll read it and I'll touch on some of the big ideas and some of the overall structure of the psalm. But honestly, mainly, I'm just going to let the psalm speak for itself because really whatever I came up with just didn't seem to be as good a sermon or good as message as just what was actually in the psalm, the words of the psalm itself. You might say that's kind of a cop-out, but I just love this passage so much that I don't want to get in the way of it. So that's kind of what we're going to do. So we're going to run through it together briefly. I'm going to point out a couple things. And then at the end, we're going to read through it all together, kind of like we did last week, the entire psalm in its whole, and just kind of let it soak in and let us reflect on it. So if that sounds like a plan, let's kind of go forward. So if you do have your Bibles with you, whether physical or digital, whatever, 
go ahead and open it up to Psalm 118. So we're going to walk through it together. I'll, I'll read some chunks to it. So if you want to follow along, go for it. We're going to start in verse 1. So here we go. Psalm 118, starting at 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. Now, other than taking every amount of restraint to not sing that first verse, what's going on here? So we open that first verse that is so difficult for us to not sing. We open up with what is a priestly blessing to the people. That we should give thanks because our God is good. And I like the follow-ups to that by calling out Israel, the house of Aaron, and anyone who fears the Lord. We're kind of getting this progression that really gets at the idea that everyone should be praising the Lord. So you have Israel, just, you know, the people in Israel, the house of Aaron, they're the priest. They're kind of the upper class, the kind of most religiously, I don't want to say upper class, I don't know, that has a bad connotation, but they're like, you know, the professional religious people. They should be praising the Lord. And then verse four, we get the idea that let those who fear the Lord. So anyone, even people outside of Israel. So we're really getting at the idea that everyone, whether their position, their station, their location, whatever, should be praising the Lord and reflecting on this amazing love. Now, continuing down to verse five. When hard pressed, I cried out to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me and I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So as a whole, this psalm is what is classified as a thanksgiving psalm. And what that means is that it's going to describe some sort of hardship, some sort of trouble that our speaker has gone through personally or has kind of a collective memory history of hardships. They're going to talk about them and talk about how God has delivered them from them. And this section is really setting that up. This section here is establishing that our psalmist knows the power and majesty of God. So it's laying the groundworks for the hardship that is to come and showing that God has pulled them through it. This kind of laying that we're going to establishing that God has his great power. And one thing I love in this section is it almost mirrors the first section we talked about. So the first section talks about how everyone should be praising God. This section talks about how we as people shouldn't be relying on anyone whether princes or whether people. It doesn't matter high, low. It doesn't matter where they're from or their station. It's better to trust in God than to put our trust in any mortal person. No matter how powerful they might be, no matter what might be going on, it's better to trust in God. It's better to have a refuge be in God. All right, so that's all kind of the setup. Now we're going to get into the meat of it here in verse 10. So continuing on in verse 10. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I pushed back. I was pushed back and was about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. 
and it's become my salvation. All right, so here's when we get to the hardships of our poet. Verses 10 and 11 have led some to the idea that perhaps our poet is a king because it talks about, you know, armies and battle. So there's uh, some people that take this as perhaps these are reflecting upon a king remembering great battles that the Lord brought them through, great victories that by, you know, the numbers they shouldn't have achieved. They shouldn't have achieved on their own, but through God, they were given these great victories. Now, if you kind of read this in the backdrop of the Old Testament, there are lots of battles described like that, where Israel was shouldn't have won, but did. So I think this could give this psalm a really nice kind of royal backdrop as we move forward. Just kind of keep that in your head. I think it gives, gives a nice kind of setting for this psalm. But for me, the verse in this section that I think stands out the most is verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my defense and has become my salvation. This is an exact quote from Exodus 15. Exodus 15, 3, I think. Um, but this passage, the beginning of Exodus 15, is a psalm also called the Song of Miriam. Now, the Song of Miriam itself might be the oldest preserved text we have. There's some cool things going on in it, but that's besides the point. What it is, it is a song that commemorates the Israelites' crossing of the Reed Sea. That commemorates the Israelites leaving Egypt, leaving slavery, moving forward, breaking free. So by quoting that psalm and the very kind of crux or well-known verse of that psalm, our psalmist is hearkening back to that feeling of joyous freedom that the children of Israel felt when they escaped Egypt. In addition, they're also implying that that same strength, that same might, and that same compassion that God displayed back then, freeing the children of Israel from Egypt, is going to be on display now for our psalmist. And by circumstance, by continuing it forward, on display for us now in our current situation, whatever that might be. And I, I, I just love that kind of parallel we have going on. I love that kind of reaching back into history to provide hope for now and for the future. All right, continuing on to verse 15. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand has lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I, I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastised me severely, but has not given me over to death. Now, this verse closes out the sections kind of talking about past hardships. It uses some pretty common kind of elevated mythic language, particularly speaking of the Lord's powerful right hand. I don't know how this is mirrored on for you guys, but this is my right hand, I promise. It might look, look like my left to you, but it's my right hand. Yeah, and this is just an idea of, it, it, it's an illustration of power, of majesty, of compassion, the strong right hand of the Lord. And our poet in this section admits that they were pushed to their brink. They were tested. They were chastised. They were almost broken but they were not given over to death. 
because the Lord protected them. They were pushed to their very brink, but the Lord did not abandon them. The Lord stuck by them. And so how does that manifest? How does this hardship come into play or continue forward into praise for our psalmist? Well, let's look, starting at verse 19. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. So it's here that our psalmist starts looking to the future. And it's at this point, this turning point here, the psalm stops reflecting on the past hardships the Lord has brought them through, and now just starts looking to the future, and it becomes a pure psalm of praise and thanksgiving. They are completely given over to God, they trust God, and the mighty power of the Lord. Now, just kind of as a funny aside here, remember at the beginning we said this is a song that more than likely Jesus and the disciples sang to close out the Last Supper. I always get a really funny mental image in my head of Jesus and the disciples when they get to verse 22 here. The stone the builders have rejected has become the capstone. In my head when they're singing that, Jesus is, you know, singing that kind of looking around. It's me, it's me. You know, I, I know I'm, I'm reading too much into it, but I just get this really funny image of that meme with the monkey just, not, not me. I know. That makes me laugh. That just might be me. But let's kind of close this out now. So starting in verse 23. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. The Lord save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house of the Lord, <clears throat> sorry, for from the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join the festive procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. So here, I think it's interesting to note that the psalm shifts perspectives a little bit. So up until this point, everything has been first-person singular. So it's been I, me. It's been the psalmist themselves talking. Here we see the verb shift a little bit. We start seeing us, our. We see things like save us, grant us success. We bless you. Here we get this shift in the idea that praise is something to be done at a corporate level, in community, amongst those around us. And I think this is really kind of highlighted well in verse 27. Because verse 27 talks about with bows in hand, we will come up to the altar of the Lord. The, the Lord has made his face shine upon us. But there's something else really cool about verse 27. So the end of verse 27 speaks of this festive procession up to the altar with bows in hand. Is this, is this reminiscent of anything? Anyone? I can't see you, but I'm assuming 
you responding, the triumphal entry of Jesus. And you're right. This is a beautiful imagery of Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem at the beginning of what would be his last Passover week. So, you know, that, that story is Jesus is coming in on the donkey. The people are praising him for throwing their coats on the ground, waving the palm fronds. It's this kind of magnificent, almost coronation style scene. So with that context in our head, think about how the rest of this verse plays out. So it starts with, the Lord God has made his face to shine upon us. Now, the face of God shining upon the people was a very common motif in poetry and in priestly works. This was, you know, the idea that this is how God shows blessing. The face of God will shine upon you. So this verse sets up the idea that God will make light shine upon the people. To immediately follow it up with a scene reflecting, or kind of foreshadowing, Jesus. The tangible, physical face of God on earth before people. So literally, in the second half of this verse, it's implying or showing that God brought the face of God, Jesus, literally before the people. And I just love that imagery. I love the, the setup of, you know, God will display majesty, will display glory to be followed up by the triumphal entry of Jesus. I just love that back and forth and kind of what that represents. Now, the psalm closes out by repeating its opening line. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. And by doing that, it is really book-ending this psalm. It's getting at the idea that everything contained in the psalm, the faith, the hardships, the overcoming, all of the kind of imagery we talked about, all of that, that's all book-ended by the love and grace of God. And book-ended, all of that contained, we should be thanking God for. I think that's a really kind of powerful opening and closing kind of makes this really, there's all sorts of fancy literary words for it, but for us, we can think about it, creates this nice sandwich effect. It's, you know, you have your opening, your closing, and they kind of hold everything together in tandem. And I think that is just some amazing imagery. All right, so that was a ridiculously super fast run through of this song. But I just wanted to highlight a couple things so that now when we go through and read it in its entirety, I want you to have that kind of imagery in your head. As I read this, I want you to focus and think about Jesus singing these words mere hours before his betrayal, before his rest, and before his crucifixion. Think about the power of these words for Jesus as he walked into the darkest day of his life. Think about what these words meant for him in that moment. And then think about how we can use that as an example for us in our lives. How can we use these words to find comfort for us in this particular moment where we are right now? So if you're in a space where you can, I would encourage you to close your eyes and just kind of let this imagery, let these words wash over you. So here we go. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. 
Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, and I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper, and I look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Though all the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense, and he has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastised me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks, for you answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festive procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. Join me as we pray. Lord, we just thank you for the wonderful, just amazing gift that is our relationship with you the amazing ability we have to talk to you, to cast our cares and our worries upon you. And we thank you that you are a God of compassion, a God who does reach out, a God who does care for us. You have not abandoned us. You will not leave us. 
you will continually chase us. You will continually hold out your hand for us to take. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful just sacrifice you made by giving Jesus and the wonderful gift that Jesus is for us, the ultimate sign that we have not been abandoned. And Lord, we just ask that as we go through this week, Lord, you would constantly be reminded of that, that at the forefront of our hearts and our minds, Lord, would be praise, would be thanksgiving for though we might be going through hardships, we don't go through them alone. We go through them with you. We go through them with community. We never have to go through them alone. And Lord, we just praise you and thank you for that. And we just ask that you would follow us this week, keep your hand upon us, and bless us, and bring us all safely back here next week. We ask all this in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you next week, if not before. So have a wonderful week, and I will see you later. Goodbye.